Pod, 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 pod. Rugby pod. Hello and welcome along to the Rugby Pod brought to you as usual by our good friends at Guinness. A big thanks to Guinness for all their support during the season. And big Jim and Goody are back as usual. How are you both doing? How's your week been? James, come on. Come on, fill me in, James. How's my week been? The same as the last six weeks. (laughs) (laughs) I was all excited about Boris coming back in on Monday. Um, he looked a lot better and um, I don't say anything on social media now the backlash by me saying even the word politics on there people are telling me that I'm not qualified to talk about it and I should stick to rugby but these people telling me that I'm not qualified to talk about it and give my opinion they're the ones that are giving opinion on rugby and I don't say anything to them no I'm trying not to to turn into the old Jimbo when I weren't picked and when I was made vice captain and not captain that guy who could be negative and me and Goody have spoken about it before there's a fine line isn't there between negativity and honesty so the coaches say to me generally Andy Robinson Jim how are you feeling today on a Monday after a game we've just been beat by four we've gone out Monday morning Jim how are you feeling I'm fucked <laughs> negative no 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 you've just asked me a question and I've just given you an honest answer so there's a fine line isn't there between being honest and negative so I'm trying not to get into that space I had a little bit of negativity in me last week but not now I'm through that I'm on the what bike uh, I've been doing weights I bloody hate weights I'll say it believe it I know, I know you're going to be surprised I'm that big and that shredded that you think I'd, I'd love it <laughs> mate, I'm just I on the bike I don't think that's the case is it you're wasting away on the bike mate you've got to be careful mate I am absolutely loving being on the bike I'll be honest but that's how shit my life is because that is that is it that's all I've got for you I am loving being on the bike I mean what have I to <laughs> how much are you benching on the weights well Interestingly, I know why you're asking that question. Uh, Rugby Pass published an article, and as we know, I'm creative director for Rugby Pass. I don't know how, but I am. And we were going through some of the figures and some of the numbers that we were privy to, and I had to. I saw Sonny Bill in there bench pressing 140 for one. That's his one rep max. And people are like, how is Jim Hamilton bench pressing 145? Mate, I'm one of the strongest second rows to play the game. Enforcer. No, no, I'm not one of the strongest, but you think being a second row that you'd be stronger than the centre, and he's right. But what I didn't know, I didn't see the finished article. I didn't see the finished list. So I've put myself on at 145, which is true, 145 for one rep max. Next thing, it gets published. So I start going down the list. You've got Mara Toji, of course you have, at the top of the list, 187.5 kgs. Had to get confirmation there off Jackson Ray. And Jackson Ray said, I'll give you confirmation if you say that I bench press the same as him. I was like, mate, I'm a creative director. I could say what I want. Throwing it out there, who I didn't put into the list, but they've dug through the archives, is my mate, Andy Good. 150 kgs for one rep max. Absolutely no chance. What are you saying that, Jim? And I understand where you're coming from. Perception. Again, the perception of me is overweight, uh, unfit, uh, unprofessional. But those things can only be thrown at me post-career, perhaps. Uh, during my career, okay, I, perhaps I was a little bit overweight, but... I did work hard in the gym. You remember those stories you tell about the hill runs back in the day at Leicester when I'm ahead of Tom Vandell? I mean, people might think this day and age, that's a pipe dream, but it was a reality. And we're talking about our days at Worcester and you didn't believe me and and 
I have a uh, a very good uh, witness who was there spotting me on it uh, back in the day, uh, Alex Grove, who's a good friend of yours, and you know Keith the Teeth very well. He's only ever going to back someone if it's the truth, isn't he? It's much easier for him to go, no good, you're lying. Um, but the genuine truth is, boom, up, up she went. And I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. So we're on the bench press. We've got the bar loaded up. We've built up to it, and it was a pre-season and as you know, I'm quite barrel-chested and I've got a big belly. So where it bounced off, I don't know. But all I know is it bounced off some part of my body. It might have been my moobs. It might have been my belly. It might have been my chest if there is anything there. And boom, up she went. So a bit of momentum behind it, but 150 for one. And I have a witness in Alex Grove to prove it. Uh, but it's interesting, isn't it? You put something like that out and you know, people are like, I ain't bothered how much I bench. It ain't about bench press. And then out the woodwork comes everyone. Well, one day I did this, and I Henry to Henry to Elangi. Let me tell you. Uh, do you remember back in the day at Leicester, Darren Grucock? And I'm not talking about Danny Grucock, the big second round. I'm talking about Darren Grucock. Oh my fi- Willie, the fitness coach. Yes, he had a <laughs> massive Willie on him. To be fair, um, absolute nutcase of a bloke. But yeah, Darren Grucock was the fitness coach at Leicester, and Henry to Elangi just used to walk into a gym, pick up a few weights, throw them around like they were little baby discs or something, and then walk out. He didn't. He could do what he wanted, the chief at the time, couldn't he? He was probably the best player in the world, I'm going to say. And Darren Grucock has said he'd seen Andrew Sheridan train, and, and Sherry was a monster in the gym, right? And he wrote on the fitness board that he would eat a plate of shit if Henry Tuolangi could bench press more than Andrew Sheridan, bearing in mind that Sherry probably did weights five times a day, and that was his go-to. Like, my go-to is going to the chocolate cupboard and eating a star bar. Like, I do that five times a day. Andrew Sheridan is thinking, I'm going to my gym and I'm just going to bench press. Henry Tuolangi walks into a gym, can lift what he wants and walk out, doesn't need to train for it because he's that ridiculously strong. Anyway, it turns out that uh, Henry Tuolangi could bench press more than uh, Andrew Sheridan. Sherry's PB was 220 or something like that, I think. Henry Tuolangi just whacks on 230, does it for one, walks off, and everyone's like, Darren Grucock, you better eat a plate of shit. And he didn't. So um, he still owes us a plate of shit to eat for dinner. That's so Leicester, isn't it? That is so Leicester. <laughs> I mean, wh- that that just sums up the contrast, doesn't it? Of other, cl- I don't know what other clubs would have done. It would have been like, your forfeit is to, I don't know, eat 10 steaks, or if you're at Exeter, chop a pint of piss. Leicester, yeah, let, let's just do something as vulgar as that. Jim, you, you might not have been... Um you might not have been doing the bench press over the weekend, but you were doing training of other kind, just showing your skill sets off and uh, on the gram. Well, it's one of them where stuff that we've spoken about on the podcast before, we've joked about it. I was named as a second row in the, in the top 10 of my generation. Um, I didn't put myself in there. It was just came out there and was published. No, mate. No, I mean, you've written that yourself and put it on. As you said, you're the creative director for Rugby Pass, so you probably made it the list up yourself, did you? No, it it was in the Coventry Evening Telegraph, which is a paper north of the Hebrides, and uh, it was named in there somewhere. Anyway, look, you know, that's just detail anyway, the top 10 second row bit, but people always said, yeah, he was just a bit of a moron, he was a penalty machine, Um, you know, Gatlin said said that, that's why I didn't pick me on the line as opposed to the Lions letter. Um, Enforcer. You know, I, even I'm not an enforcer. Arguably, top five hardest players to have played the game. What people didn't know, what people did, what people didn't know is your name is Spongefist. Is the skill set that I had. Now, tackling I had four shoulder reconstructions before I was 25. So, to be as good a tackler as I was, probably similar to Sam Sam Underhill now, like that kind of physicality around, slightly higher, <laughs> slightly higher. Um, so people just thought I had these attributes. No skill 
and I've showcased them because we're in lockdown. And uh, yeah, I've been throwing rugby balls and tennis balls into a bin and no one believes me. No one believes... Why does no one believe... But people think, right, that I am all these things, a so top 10 second row, top five hardest players to play the game, up there as physical as, as Sam Underhill. It's a long time ago. Obviously, a game's changed. So, But people also think that I am that creative that I can manufacture and manipulate cameras. No. Would you, so you, do you not believe that I did that then? No, I believe that you've thrown the ball, the tennis ball and the rugby ball into the bin. I don't believe anywhere near the fact that it was your first take. I'd say you are probably out there all afternoon avoiding the kids. <laughs> um, and it was just on a continuous run and you were like lobbing it, lobbing it, lobbing it and eventually one went in. <laughs> it's all right to admit that, mate. It's all right. Just no one puts the whole video out there, do they? So it's commitment that you have uh, managed to do that for Rugby Pass. You've avoided the kids again for about... 10 hours to uh, be able to throw a tennis ball in a, in a dustbin what are you going to do after the lockdown finishes I've got no idea because that isn't a skill that you can take into life anymore <laughs> well now we n- now we are <laughs> but, mate who knows mate you don't know where we're going to be you don't even know how long we're going to be in lockdown Goody tell me right so we're now into week 7 we're into week 7 well I am anyway of uh, lockdown get it because we're locked down um, and I'm thinking to myself right so it's been a long 6-7 weeks right but it's also gone very quick. I don't know how the world works like that. I'm trying to work out, right, who invented time and all these things just because I'm weird like that. But when it's all said and done, to say we're out, say we're out in the next three, four, five weeks and fast forward to August where we are in Ibiza and I am drinking responsibly with my shirt off, Goody's got his udders out and we're loving life. What thing, and you look back uh, productively, can we say individually that we've done? So Goody, you look back on this, and people are juggling, I'm throwing tennis balls, I'm smashing the Watt bike. What have you done these, these last seven weeks apart from grow a beard and clean clean underneath the others? <laughs> well, there's, there's, a, there's a two things really, but the personal one is spending loads of time with the kids. And my, Me and my missus were chatting about it the other day, and I'm a big believer in everything happens for a reason, so we were getting quite philosophical about it. I don't know what the reason is that this has happened. So why has coronavirus come? Can't work out. I, I know, because someone had a bat in China. Well, we know why, but oh. everything happens for a reason. What's the good behind this? I don't know. But uh, what we worked out is that we have spent a massive amount of time with the twins, which is great fun. It's hard work as well, don't get me wrong. Um, and they're screaming the house down. And some days we look at each other and we're like, oh my God, we just want the nanny to come back. But it is, you know, when you go to bed at night time, you think about the fun you're having, you're educating your kids a bit and spending quality time with them that actually when we're working the way we work, you don't ever get the opportunity to spend this much time with them so seeing them develop is that's been amazing why, the, why are you making me feel bad why are you making me feel bad by saying that <laughs> well you've got four haven't you so it's a bit different and you know i've got mates i've got one mate that's actually on this call now that when i speak to him he's like i've got one kid on i just don't know what to do with myself and i said mate times that by two and that's how bad i feel and then when i times mine by two and that's how bad jim is so everyone's got a worse situation um so it's pretty tough but Education. I talked about the word. I love education. And, you know, my education to the world has been the amount of messages I've had this week that listened to me talking about my favorite ice cream, which was the Waitrose Colombian coffee one. The amount of messages that I've had from people saying, oh my God, they're unbelievable. Thank you so much for bringing this to my attention. I just educate the world around chocolate. That's what I've been doing. So I can look back on this uh, lockdown period of Having spent a lot of time, I've not really upskilled myself. I've I've been a good dad. I've spent a lot of time with the twins, uh, and I've educated the world about chocolate and um, you know different options out there to people. And Waitrose 
Colombian coffee ice cream sales have gone through the roof. Andy Rope, what you got, mate? I haven't got a lot really. I've 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 been growing a veggie garden for the first time. Have you ever grown a veggie garden? No. And there's somewhere I've got corn, aubergine, carrot, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, lettuce. What was the second one you mentioned? Aubergine. Oh, I, I don't know. I, I heard you say aubergine. I don't know what an aubergine is, but yeah, we we used to call uh, stash at Leicester aubergine the aubergine. <laughs> <laughs> Horrific body shape, Stasha, didn't he? Mate, horrific body shape, but the but the best nickname given to any human being on planet Earth. So this kid rocks up, right? Dan Montague, his name is. I'm going I'm to name drop him. Australian lad, weird-looking bloke, had a hair like Lloyd Christmas out of Dumb and Dumber, turns up in the most horrendous gear you've ever seen, as in pointy shoes, white trousers, um let's say a lace vest and he had these horrific pants right that was like five sizes too small that were bonds pants they were bonds from australia or something that he used to say turns up and we're thinking what the hell so like at leicester because obviously um there were sick units and stuff there anyway but weird guys but told him straight we're all thinking what the hell is going on here next thing we go out to training and you've never seen gear like it. His shorts literally looks like a thong. He's got boots that are four sizes too big, these ankle stoppers with no socks on. He's got a scrum cap on with tape around the top. And I just looked and I said, have you seen this bloke's stash? <laughs> and from there on in, his name was called Stash. What a bloke he, what a bloke he is. What a bloke he was. I ain't heard of him in a long time, aka the aubergine. So you can imagine what these bonds were like. We used to get you two mixed up, actually. We thought you were long-lost twins or something. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> genuine. Genuine. genuine well, aubergine. Stash. Yeah, the yeah, aubergine, you, mate. You and the aubergine. Uh, should we have a look at the news and what's been going on in rugby this week? Oh, God. Talking of politics. Yeah, well, firstly, we have to have a bit of an ap- apology to our all our listeners, aren't we? Because we're coming out a day late. Uh, and there's a clear reason behind it. And we talk about politics and news in rugby. We had Augustin Pichot come on the show last week um, and talk uh, in depth about his passion uh, regarding becoming chairman of World Rugby. And Bill Beaumont was lined up. He'd messaged me on Twitter and said, oh, Andy, I'm happy to do it on Monday. Uh, we've sent him three or four messages since. And he's ghosted us, hasn't he? He's just uh, gone MIA. So uh, we, we planned to do it on Monday with Big Bill coming on. And we've given him an extra 24 hours and he hasn't responded. So, Bill... Where are you? Cheers for that, Bill. I was all set up, ready to go. Monday's my favourite day because we get to record the podcast. Now Tuesday is, but there's no Bill. No Bill, no guests. So, I don't know. I'm voting for P-Show, mate. I've no idea what either of them are putting forward, still. Uh, I've not worked it out, but um, I like P-Show's passion. Have you heard, heard anything from Bill about like what he wants to put forward, Jim? I think what I have picked up from it, that with everything that's going on and all the different layers and Sanzar and the Six Nations and TV deals and all the different formats of the leagues and there not being a global season, that I don't think anyone makes a decision, really. That's what it seems like. It seems like they have these these ideas and you know we spoke to P show and then I spoke to Tim producer Tim before that and after that, still trying to work out what P show would do in terms of changing it, but trying to ask questions what Bill has done as well in terms of the last four years what Pichot could do differently and actually has he got the power to do it because I think at the minute if if we're getting into the crux of rugby it is in such a fragile state that so many different governing bodies the media side of things the clubs and this is just the this is just the prem we're talking about and we'll probably come on to the the player division from Prem Rugby and the RPA and all these different things. Imagine being head of that. 
you know, and all the stuff that's that's going on with the Pacific Islanders and and, and the Fiji team and USA uh, going under uh, and financial problems. We asked the simple questions. Gus, what are you bring to the table? Well, global season will give more of a platform for the lesser, na- lesser nations. Bill wants to make the game safer. That's clearly one of his things that he's passionate about. I'll tell you what, there is a lot more to migrate through before we get to that stage. When's it decided? It's decided soon, isn't it? Yeah, the vote's open now. So the vote opened on Monday, and I think there's a four-day voting window where every union um, gets to send an email uh, with who they're backing and it, it just like the whole system is to me pretty flawed you know first and foremost it's the unions voting um, and as we've spoken about on here different unions have got uh, different powers in terms of the number of votes they've got um, you know if the six nations vote on block they get additional votes because of that and and that leans in in favor of one uh, person which would clearly be Bill Beaumont although there were breaking news over the weekend that perhaps Wales and, and Ireland would look to back Pichot but who knows the, the, the problem is with a four day window I don't understand how a four day window helps anyone you know we, we know uh, these two guys have been lobbying um, and some of the unions haven't interacted we heard about Pichot that some of the Six Nations unions hadn't even bothered to have a call with him even though he's chased them which I think is horrific I also sit there and I think you know why have you got a four day window to make a vote when you know, if there is, and I'm not saying there is, but with Bill being the current chairman, would he get wind of how many votes he needs and then put more pressure on other people to vote for him if that is the case with, with promises? You know, and we've seen it in FIFA, in football, the corruption there. I'm not saying there is that in rugby, but I just think the whole system of how it is set up at the minute could lead to, you know, a power struggle of, of oh, if you vote for me, I'll do this for you. And I, I just don't see that as, as being viable moving forward. And then the other issue with it, that's come out in the press pretty clearly is the fact that the result doesn't get announced till May the 12th. Now, I think Pichot said it himself. Um, why do we need two weeks, at least two weeks before, you know, the votes announcement? It's just an email. It's just a straight, these are the amount of votes we've got. I think there's 51 votes, is there, in total um, that come in. And so it's first to 26. And ultimately, um, you can, once the window closes, you can announce it the next day. But, you know, it's so convoluted, it's so uh, disorganised, really, in my, in my opinion, that I think um, there needs to be massive change there. And I, I think the point that you come back to, Jim, that you talked about is power um, and, and what powers have they actually got. Because the big thing and the big question over Bill Beaumont and what he's done in these four years, and he's been very clever with one thing he said, I think, Bill, but the big question around him is what has he done in the four years? What has changed? What has he actually implemented? And he talked a few things about the amount of women on the councils now, which is great, um, and trying to be more diverse around that. But what actually has he impacted on the rugby field around the game? He talked about the World Cup in Japan that was already going ahead uh, before he got voted in. But you know, it was a very successful World Cup. But what changes have we seen? We haven't seen many, have we? We haven't seen anything advanced in the global season, any of those talks. But what he did do, which I think was really intelligent, was say your second term is always way more successful in getting things done than your first term. So he's kind of put a, a subconscious message out there to all the people questioning what he's done in the first term by saying your second term, you've you, you settled into the job and you've always got a, a more advantageous position to be able to make change four years further down the line. So we shall see. I hope Pichot gets it. I really do. Um, I think he can make change. I don't I don't think he'll be able to make the radical changes as quickly as he, as he wants to because 
ultimately there's councils to go through there is all the unions that have to agree things the amount of movement there's got to be around this global season um, that will take at least a year to implement itself so um, I just think it is time for a new voice and, and hopefully Pichot is the man yeah I agree with you why do you think he didn't come on so why do you think he agreed to come on and then all of a sudden just, just radio silence because this isn't me talking up our platform even though we've got millions and millions of listeners. But the thing is with P-Show and the differences with P-Show and listening to him on our podcast and all the other publishing outlets that he's been on and he's been retweeting and he's really pushing for is I think he actually understands the next generation of fans coming through, which is ultimately what we need. Like So whether we like it or not, and we like this age of social media and iPads and YouTube and Tic Tac or whatever this thing's called where you do these funny dance moves, this is the future right? So this is no disrespect to Bill, you know, or our grandparents, or, you know, if you've got older parents or what, they do not understand and truly believe in this evolution of life at the minute. Whereas Pichot clearly, I'm not just saying because he sits there on a computer game and plays um, whatever game he was talking about playing, but the whole online media platform based outlets, like he seems to understand it. And my, my question is, is does Bill not believe that doing a podcast is going to benefit him in terms of getting his message out there? Does he just think, oh, it's a podcast. I'm going to go to mainstream media. So I'm going to go to a newspaper or I'm going to go on the news. Like Because I've not seen him anywhere at all. Maybe he doesn't have to go. You know, he, He's been a little bit more active now on social media when you follow him. But I'm still at the point where, actually, how much does he believe in the evolution of the generation that we live in now? Or is he still fairly old-fashioned? I love Bill. Like, look, you know, I, I love what what he's stood for as a player. I love his standing in the game. But that's me questioning: is that, that we've waited another time? Like, we can wait, whatever. My thing is: is what? Why has he not come on? Yeah, I think the issue with it is, and again, you've got someone that's younger and more forward-thinking, and age isn't necessarily a factor. But Bill clearly has just gone. You know, he's done BT Sport. Did he do Sky Sports as well? Um, it, he'll just see them as stakeholders. But the reality is, and Bill's probably looking at it going, does it matter what the masses think about me right here, right now? Actually, it's more probably to him about lobbying with unions because they've got the one that casting the votes. Chris Langdon's tweeted and he wants to know what you guys think of the reports of Joe Mahler, Mohamed Hoas maybe not missing any games because their bans will be over by the time rugby gets back on track. Well, they'll be happy. It's um, yeah, I did see it. Obviously, the Joe Marler one was um, was out there in the public domain, and I was thinking back actually because I got, I think it was a twelve week ban for nearly killing David Pace when we played against London Irish, and I missed the <laughs> summer tour. So I missed the I missed the summer tour uh, to Australia where Scotland uh, beat Australia in an absolute classic in Newcastle. I think it was six three or something, absolute classic. I missed it anyway, of, of course, because they won. But because it was pre season, I only missed the summer tour. So I didn't miss any of the games, which was weird because my red card was in a premiership game. So, I I mean, I don't want to be a guy to be able to say, well, if he gets banned for 10 weeks, he should miss 10 games. But it's an interesting debate, isn't it? I'm, I'm glad, actually, there's a part of me, right, that that is the case because there were whispers and there was stuff out there in the public domain that Joe Marler might throw the Mohican in and, uh, and call it a day with everything that's happened. So actually, the situation around COVID-19, not the situation of COVID-19, the situation around it, 
and the pause of the season, I think for someone like him has maybe given him a little time to reflect. Obviously, he'll go back into the season when it starts, probably behind closed doors, and uh, maybe reboot, reboot his career and we'll see if a different Joe Marler comes out, out of it. Yeah, man, I, 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 it, it, it's a no-win situation, isn't it, really? Because there'll be a load of people that say... Joe Marler and Hawass and there's some there's Manu Tulangi as well. Um, they should all be banned. They should, you know, have the the whole ten week ban moved to whenever the season starts again. The circumstances we're sitting under now with the the pandemic is, um, you know, unforeseen and you know it, it's an area where no one could have predicted this. So I personally think they should serve and sit out some sort of ban. I, I don't think with the rejigging of how we're going to try and finish the season, you, you can ban them perhaps for the whole. 10 weeks, whatever it was, um, for, for Joe Marler and obviously Manu, I think, got four and Hawass got three or four, however many he got in the end. But maybe, maybe you, you halve it and, and make it games. But I, I I do think there'll be some injustice where people will think that actually you, you're supposed to have been banned, but nothing's happened to you. Just unban them all and start rugby ASAP when it's safe. Just unban them all. Well, if you're on the lookout for more great rugby content, check out our Superfans subscription service at patreon.com. Jim and Goody answered some listeners' questions on there recently, and we thought we'd play you a quick clip of that now to give you a little taste of what's on offer. Mark Smith has asked, there's always talk of England players getting 25 bags a game, but how much did you get for a Scotland game, and did you have a win bonus? And then, Goody, how much did you get for an England international back in your day? Yeah, not a lot. Um... I can't think. I, I was trying to think about this. I was having this conversation with Barkley. I think we were average, right, around three thousand to seven thousand pound a game. But it was all based on uh, win bonuses and where you finished in the, in the championship. There was one year under Dean Ryan, right, where we finished joint third. It could have been joint fourth if you were the SRU when you were talking about it. And <laughs> we we were up there at eighteen thousand pound a game for finishing third. And I'm sure it's probably more than that now. But we we had issues all along the way with we never had something in place that was constant. So we we're constantly having to have these conversations about what we're going to get paid. For the autumn tests um, was different. For the World Cup was different. You were paid a day rate. Uh, I heard this year the Scotland rugby players, everyone was paid a day rate for being in World Cup camp. And then you got a fee for going because then it's everyone's got the buy-in, haven't they, in terms of everyone's getting paid a, a universal number. I don't know. I think that £25,000 is a lot of money, right? Is a lot of money. And all the add-ons that you get from that as well. And I'm talking about a lot of money in rugby. Like, it is a significant amount of money. And maybe you can argue slightly too much. I don't think they'll get paid that now. I think they'll, I think they'll cut it back. Goody, I don't know what you think. But, um, I, I, yeah, I, I, don't know what the, I don't know what the Scotland boys get now. But, yeah, we're talking I was getting a quarter or half of that. But rightly so. Like, if you're winning week in, week out, and I don't know what the Wales guys were getting for winning Grand Slams back then, I'm sure it probably worked out to be probably similar to what the England guys got but maybe not as much overall with the stuff the lads would have done outside at the stadium and all these things. The money's in England. Yeah, you're right, Jim. And I think um, uh, a lot of kudos has to go to the RPA uh, for their ability to negotiate on behalf of the players. And that's perhaps something that the players in Scotland might have struggled with. Did they have a, a voice? You know, did they have players that were happy saying whatever they wanted to say? And it perhaps wouldn't affect their their selection in the squad if you know you go toe-to-toe you you only need to go back to England players going on strike nearly a few years back and I say a few years it was probably about 50 years now with Jono and the boys um, which was how it all started with England players in terms of a a collective agreed match fee for uh, and win bonuses etc yeah I mean when I played I think it was around 
without knowing exact numbers, it was probably around 10 a game. And then there were some top-ups with appearances that you were guaranteed a certain amount of appearances throughout the year if you're in a you know the squads regularly. So, um, yeah, nothing's guaranteed in this world anymore. And we, we, like Jim says, I think we might see huge changes. The, uh, I, don't, I don't know the terms of the contract, how long that is, whether when the renegotiation is in, in terms of the, the, the appearances and the and the fees, match fees, etc. for the England boys. But it, I'm sure the RFU will be trying to uh, look at ways of perhaps reducing it in, in relation to their loss of revenue and, and, and the stability of the business going forward. There you go. Just head to patreon.com forward slash the rugby pod if you like the sound of that and sign up to get loads of extra interviews and features for just a few quid a month. The Leicester players have been in the headlines as well uh, this week. Uh, what do we know about their response to the pay cuts and the situation uh, in um, what have you made of their response so far? That it's messy. Yeah, it is messy. And I wrote a column on it last week uh, for Rugby Pass. Now, I don't think, uh, and I think I tried to be as balanced as I could in, in that column and be as honest as I could around the situation that I've, I know about. Now, from what I hear, and the players' side feel that the club haven't handled it in the right way. Uh, they feel that they've just been told they're going to take a 25% pay cut and that's it. There was no dialogue. So they've got a bit of beef with the club around how they have approached it and broached the subject with the players. They just said, look, we're going to take 25% off you and, that, and, and you're done. Now, there's loads of misinformation around there as well that's come out. Um, I think the players... Some of them have tried to stay strong collectively. Some of them want to do the right thing by the club. And obviously, as, as we said last time, this pandemic is uh, having a huge financial impact across the whole world. Not just rugby. Let's take rugby out of it. The vast majority of people have seen some sort of financial effects. So um, the story six, seven weeks ago when players were asked to take a pay cut, if you had an issue with it then, you could perhaps see both sides of it. Now, as I said in my column, I don't see how you can not uh, take a pay cut because you know you, you look around the world i think the australians are taking a 65% pay cut new zealand 50 or 55 i think it's the way it's been handled which was perhaps the leicester players issue so it, it's a messy situation but i think the reality of it is any player that thinks they shouldn't take a 25% pay cut or a 20% pay cut or some sort of pay cut at the minute with the way and the state of the game uh, and you're trying to fight for 100% of your wages I think you're probably a little bit mistaken at the minute and that's just me talking normally and I openly said at the start I'd be against it but now where we're at further down the line and who knows whether rugby can fully recover or recover some clubs won't recover um, I think players have got a responsibility as well and I think it's the way that they've dealt with it which I'm not privy to that information I think what I'm hearing is, and I look at what Gloucester have done, Gloucester seemed like they were very transparent early on. Um, I think it was a question and a negotiation to almost force the hand of the players to take that 25% pay cut. But I think the big thing around it is, I use Gloucester because I know a little bit about the situation at Gloucester. So Johan Ackerman and the South African contingent, when all this broke out and they realised that it's actually really serious, they all flew back to South Africa. They all flew home. So they're now... They've been furloughed or the 25% pay cuts, how all, how all the administration works around that. But they're home. The Leicester players, they've all had to stay in Leicester. They weren't allowed to go home. Now, I'm not saying that that's a reason why, but surely if you've got players in that team that could have went home during this situation for six, seven, eight, we don't know, it could be four or five months. And they're now cooped up in a foreign country having been furloughed not knowing around the future. I think that that's the thing. I think as players, you know what it's like, Goody, we've been. When, sometimes when you're told you need to do something which you might disagree with, you're like, no, I ain't doing that. 
and then all of a sudden you you build this kind of gang don't you like you go up against it but if there's a if there's an adult conversation and there's some things around the conversation where there's empathy towards the situation that you're in of course you know everyone's going through something in, in this pandemic they are whether or not it's emotional financial or both but i think it's the way that you go about your organization look you know and I, I don't have millions of pounds to, to spend on a club, so I don't know how them conversations go. But I think it's how you deal with the players who are mid twenties, you know, thirty years old, high testosterone, probably in denial that this is happening, you know, at the, at the start. So I don't know. It's just it's just another thing. We're speaking about Leicester again. We're speaking about Leicester, not for their on-field performances being poor, but clearly the culture at the club, something's not right. Like, surely there's got to be someone in that team, in the management, that actually says, look, why us? Why is this happening to us? And we're hearing different rumours, aren't we, of, of, of different clubs. I heard a rumour out there, I might be completely wrong, that Exeter aren't cutting anyone's salaries. I might be completely wrong. That might, might, might not be the case. I think the thing is, is it needs to be a conversation because if you're... If you're a player at Leicester, I won't name anyone, and you speak to Jack Knoll at Exeter, and Jack's like, well, no, that's not happening to us. Like they said they might do, and we'll have the uh, discussions. And you're a Leicester player, and like, well, we got told 24 hours before uh, that we need to sign this document. That's where you start get, getting your backup, don't you? And that's clearly reading between the lines of, of what Genji, and, and we're hearing Bateman's involved in that as well. I think that that's out there in the public domain. That's what their problem is. And then the, the situation around the RPA, we had hoppers on, they don't know how to deal with it. This has never never happened before. So they're having to deal with a situation around how the players come up with a solution, how the clubs come up with a solution is 25. And that's why I said to Hoppers, I said to him, is 25% the going rate? And he said, yes. But is it the going rate? Is that If 25% if, if is the going rate, then there needs to be a way in which that's, that's put across. Saracens have gone about it a different way. They've deferred payment. So they've actually said, look, we are, you know, we're going to furlough the staff, and we're going to go do the administration around it. If you're over seventy five thousand pound and you're a high earner, we're going to cap it at that, and we're going to defer it to next season. You're going to get your money. Some other clubs have said no, nope, that's it. But they've had a joint discussion. I understand you're not happy. You're not happy. We'll get through this. We had Freddie Burns on. He had a different stance to it than Charlie Yule's. But speaking to Damien Hopley a few weeks ago, it seemed like that it was kind of like this is the route that everyone was going down. But now we hear from Leicester that it's not, and, you know, there's issues with the RPA and there's conflict of interest between the Prem Rugby, the RPA, the clubs, the RFU, and it's opened a whole can of worms now. It has opened a whole can of worms. I think one of the points you're talking about there, Jim, um, you know, I think one of the things that Genji said was um, that he hadn't spoken to any RPA members on a personal note. Now, I don't know whether that's, he must have spoken to RPA members because the other Leicester players are RPA members. Every player is an RPA member. They sign up to it at the start of every season. And they, you know, they pay their 200 quid a year to be part of that union. But why haven't the Leicester, from what I hear, Leicester and Greg Bateman is the uh, representative on the RPA committee uh, for Leicester. Have they engaged with the RPA? And this is the questions that I'm just posing because from what I hear, the RPA, and I've seen a lot of the communication that the RPA have given to all the players around what's happening and that started back in March. Uh, I've seen numerous emails around 
the changing face of it, the pictures, the legal stance, everything that Ellis Genge seemed to have complained about is, is actually misinformation for me because I've seen all the communication that the RPA have sent to the players. Um, I've heard about the RPA engaging with every club, having Zoom calls with every club, but apparently Leicester players didn't want to have a Zoom call and take the advice of the RPA. So like you said, it is a whole can of worms. There is a lot of misinformation out there. I understand Genji speaks from the heart. He says what he thinks. But unfortunately for me, what he's saying about this scenario, he's got quite a lot factually wrong for me in terms of what he's putting out to the press and saying that, you know, they need someone to represent the boys. Every player has an agent or most players have an agent that looks after their contract and their off-field uh, commercial opportunities, and they're generally lawyers as well, aren't they? They're generally from a fr- fr- from a lawyer background or yeah. solicitor background. Yeah, and it, contract. You know, it, it, and if you know contract law, if an agent hasn't got a law background himself or herself, then they have councils that they go to in terms of a legal firm that they use regularly. Now, agents have that ability. I don't understand. One of the comments I can't really understand from Ellis Genge, if uh, he, he feels that players were poorly advised and told to sign contracts without even reading them almost now that was his quote so i'm sat there as a player if you're a player the only person that's going to be forcing you to sign something is a club the the rpa and i've seen all the communication they're not going to force you to sign anything the rpa gave legal advice around what every player's position was you can accept the 25 percent pay cut you can reserve your position or you can take legal action against them if they just automatically deduct you 25%. So there were the three options. Now, the RPA went through this with every club, with it, uh, you know, sent communication out to every player via email. So the information has been there, so I disagree with that. But as a player, you've got an agent and a union in the RPA. Why are you going to sign something? Jim, if, you, if someone puts a contract in front of you and says, sign this, Jim, and you don't choose to read it yourself, it's, you've only got yourself to blame. I understand Genji's passion. And to me, it sounds, you know, when he talks about, you know, I don't think we've been represented that well commercially. I'll come on to the England stuff in a bit about the commercial deal that the RPA have, have, have got for the England players. As we've joked about on here, they're the highest paid players in the world uh, in terms of match fees. So, yeah, I, I understand his passion. I understand what he uh, is, is trying to portray but I don't think he's portrayed it in the right way and it has opened a huge can of worms for a lot of the amazing work that the RPA do. There was chat from them that the RPA is compromised because they rely on premiership funding is that true? Well yeah that's the perception around the RPA and Prem Rugby and the RFU that they're all in bed together but genuinely having worked with the RPA having spoke to hoppers they are genuinely there for the players right that's what I think. Now this is a situation that that no one saw coming. And even when it came, I don't think people realised the financial, economic situation that was going to follow. And then being in sport, now it's obvious to see, isn't it, that sport was going to be affected massively. So were the pubs and, you know, the food and drink industries. But in our case, sport. I don't think anyone saw it. So the RPA weren't going to be in a position to be able to advise clubs what to do and understand where players stood and that's why hoppers so going back to hoppers's conversation he, he said mate we don't know we don't know what we don't know what we're trying to migrate through it day on day and i think the thing is for me is the rpa are still the body in between and you've got guys like christian day who uh, was a player at northampton obviously you've got mark lambert who's a player at harlequin so you've got guys in the rpa that have been players recently that understand it my feeling on the situation around this is that 
this is so we can come back to again. This is so the clubs can survive. And that's how I would genuinely be. I would be like a lemming. I'd be following the lads that had been at the club a long time. So, for example, when we are at Leicester, what Jono, what Backy, what Cosa, Garforth, Cockers, Roundtree, what they did would then showcase what the rest of us players would do. At Saracens, so with Mako, Jamie George, George Cruz, Jackson Ray, Owen Farrell, Brad Barrow, Alex Good, guys who've been at the club for a long time, they generally decide where it goes and what's best for the club and we'd follow. At Gloucester, they'd all follow me, whatever we wanted to do. <laughs> Scotland, the same. But that's So who at Leicester is leading the charge? That, you know, that, that's the big question here because it is uncharted territory. So if Leicester is a club, right, didn't go down that route, and we don't know what route they've gone down in terms of forcing the players to do this, forcing them to do that, there's a point where they have to do it. Whether they like it or not, they've got, they've got to do it, contractually or not. Take them to court. As a player, you could be like, I'll take them to court. All right, well, good luck in that. So my point being is who's leading the charge with that? So the RPA are obviously trying to advise and going based on what the other clubs, I mentioned Exeter there, have no idea what's going on, but the general consensus seems it's 25%. So that's the route Leicester have gone, whether they've gone it the right way or not. But this is to save the club. This is to make sure that they can operate when the, the season starts back up. So I think it's given the lads something to do. Maybe, you know, and something might come out of it. There might be a separate, you know, body that looks after this kind of thing when actually they don't feel that they can go to the RPA or they feel like the RPA is in bed with Prem Rugby or the RFU and there's something else that, that needs to be looked at that they can go. But it's a lot more difficult than, than just saying, no, I'm not doing it. Well, I think the, the thing is, and what I will be clear about, is I've been privy to all the emails that the and the communication that the, RF, that the RPA have sent uh, along this. And it obviously is an ever-changing story. But just to clarify everything, and I've done a lot of work with the RPA over my whole career, really. And to clarify everything around the perception of uh, that they're in bed with the RFU or they're in bed with Premiership Rugby and there's a conflict of interest. There absolutely isn't a conflict of interest, and I'll explain why, because the RPA is a twofold, um, actually a kind of threefold uh, operation. Um, it's a trade union, and then they've got uh, a welfare and education program, and then aside to that as well, the RPA, they conduct the negotiations on behalf of the England squad with the RFU to uh, work out how much they get paid per game and their commercial deals, etc., etc. So let's just take the trade union activity to start off with. And they do very much segregate each part of the business. So the trade union activity uh, and the trade union side of it is all paid for by the player subs. So each player, each senior contracted player pays £200 a year. Uh, and also the commerciality of the RPA. So the events that they put on, the the dinners, the uh, the partners that they bring on to support the RPA uh, is a revenue stream that they use all that for their trade union activity representing the players. So that's all the legal stuff and um, the insurance around that that's provided for them. There's a huge, you know, you go back to some of the quotes, and I've said it on here before, I think, you go back to some of the quotes that you try and get 100 grand's worth of insurance cover for, and it would cost me 10, 12, 13 grand a year to get that cover. Now, these players pay 200 quid a year and they have a very much enhanced insurance package that the RPA provide by being a union. And they obviously pay for that. And part of that is used from the money that they've raised commercially as well. So that's one arm. That's the trade union arm of the body. Then the Premiership and the RFU fund the welfare and the education programs. So they do an amazing program, the Gainline program, that actually 80% of the players in the Premiership have engaged in. That's where all the funding from 
uh, the RFU and Premiership Rugby, that's where that goes. So there's a whole group of, I think there's one um, development manager per two Premiership clubs that are full-time uh, employees to educate and, and allow the players to go and do things outside of rugby to, to prepare them for post-rugby career. So all the funding from the RFU and the PRL goes into that pot. So it's not the trade union part. It's completely separate. There's different people that sit with that money uh, and work that money and spend that money on educational programs and the welfare programs. You think about the Restart Charity stuff as well. They're the only body in the UK that pay uh, and provide a confidential service where you can phone up and you know talk about mental health and things like that um, that they provide for the players as well. And then finally, obviously, the, the England uh, contract where... And I'll just be clear about this. We, we say on here it's 25 bags a game. It's £25,000 a game to play for England, right? And for context, that is £8,000 more than any other nation. £8,000 more than the second best nation that gets paid. And that's France. Um, and France don't get that per game. That's their highest tiered game. So England players... On a Six Nations game or an Autumn International, they get 25 grand, just under 25 grand, actually. I think it's something like 1,500 quid for a training and then 22,800 quid or 700 quid for a match fee. So this is what the RPA have done. And then they, on top of that, they get appearances. There's a set number of appearances around all the England sponsors that get shared around the playing group. So they make money off that commercially as well. So I actually think the England players are the envy of every other international player in the world for the deal that they've got and how they're represented and looked after by the RPA and you know you've got Genji who I appreciate his his message perhaps hasn't been portrayed how he wants it to be portrayed and he's passionate about what he believes in but the stark reality is this RPA do an unbelievable job and people will say that they are there's a conflict of interests but there's clear segregation and perhaps it's just a perception that there's a conflict of interests and the reality when you dig into it as I have and people can do it's out there in the public domain that the reality is very, very different. I, I don't think many people would have known that, Goody, so I think that's brilliant. And I think ju- just to finish what Goody's saying there, because it's not about Genge and, and Bateman and Leicester versus the RPA, that isn't the case. For me, I think you'd see the true colours of an organisation, of a person, of a group of people, of a team in crisis, right? So when the shit really hits the fan, that's when you'll see the true depth of a person and a collective in that and this isn't me slagging off Leicester but for me it shows that things aren't right there culturally I don't want to keep banging on or whatever because now the players are now looking outside to think that oh we're being hard done by or this hasn't been done right and there are other players and we had Freddie Burns on the podcast speaking about it he's not very happy I'm sure he'll be thinking and, and speaking to people speaking to his advisors but I'm on about the collective now the collective of of Gloucester and Saracens and you know we're hearing you know rumours about different clubs that you know there's pockets that aren't happy but it, it's it's a messy situation to migrate through and I feel for the RPA because I'm with Goody and he's just gone through all the points they put in a lot of work but I understand it if the rumours that you're hearing at Leicester is they've been their hands been forced, uh, they've gone about it a different way. That there was no dialogue there. They weren't, you know, the other players in the squad weren't allowed to go back home, and they're hearing the, the Gloucester players have gone home. So there'd be an air of uh, you've been pissed off for sure. Yeah, and I, I, I understand that, and I completely agree. I think you've got Leicester players who feel aggrieved, or some Leicester players, shall we say, that feel aggrieved by the way the club dealt with it and just communicated it and the knock-on effect of not being able to go home, whatever that 
brings in more anxiety. And I think, you know, some of the players apparently then went back to Leicester and said, well, just tell Peter Tom to put more money in. <laughs> it's not how the world works when we're in crisis. So No, um, no way. Yeah, so it's tough for the Leicester players. It's tough for the players. You know, it's tough for everyone in life. But a lot of people have taken a lot of financial hits on this. Um, and rugby players, you know, without sounding like an ex-player that says, oh, they earn too much, because I don't believe, you know, necessarily that to be the case. I think everyone's got a responsibility to, if there is a pay cut needed, unfortunately, that's the situation we're in with the pandemic. Sounds like July is when they're going to restart the premiership. Do you think that's likely, even if they are playing it behind closed doors? Yeah, uh, July is probably the earliest it's going to start now, isn't it? And, you know, there is as much as possible a willingness across the board to try and get the season finished because clubs need... Uh, sponsors and TV rights holders to feel that they've got full, as full a value as they can for their investment for this season so that the full value of that money does come through and, and clubs are still alive. And do you think that money will come through even after coronavirus and everything's cleared up because there's the talk about Premiership Rugby not signing up BT Sport for another broadcast deal, wasn't there? Again, more rumours that are out there. I think the the... the TV deals up in 2021, I think I'm right in saying. I think there'll be negotiations going on. Uh, and again, these questions would have been asked before, but even more so now, the direction of the game, how the game will look going back to all the points that we're making, that everyone's making around the global season. What other um, platforms are interested in the talk of Sky Sports? Are they keen to get back into, into rugby again? Uh, Amazon, they're dipping their toe into rugby is what I'm hearing as well. Obviously, Rugby Pass, we, we've got rights across the globe as well. And I think this is the the big question. And, you know, Channel 4 did a little bit last year, ITV around the Six Nations along with BBC. I think, I think I'd like rugby to be a lot more accessible than it is, a lot easier to access the games. And I know it's easy to say that, but it's just spread out all over the place, isn't it? I don't know. I think the next evolution is for it is that we'll see one or two platforms maybe coming to the fore and taking fully the rights. But how much are they worth now? How much is rugby worth now to, to these companies? Uh, that's the issue, isn't it? Because um, you know, from what you hear about the TV deal, and I know this, the ex-CEO of Now TV is on the, on the case for Premiership Rugby and CVC in terms of trying to uh, agree a new contract for the TV rights. And I, from what I understand, BT Sport had an exclusive period of time where they could renegotiate their deal. And apparently there wasn't an agreement. So is that because Premiership Rugby were asking for way too much than BT Sport wanting to pay. That negotiation didn't go well. That opened up the door to conversations with Sky that haven't been picked up. The rights holders to the big sporting leagues around the world are losing money hand over fist as well at the minute. So what's the premiership value? And and, and rugby wanted a huge deal because they see the the global scale of, of the Premier League football and they're in the absolute billions for TV rights because it's such a global game. Now, rugby isn't that. I think there's a reality check coming in here and how it looks going forward is pretty tough to, to work out right now. All right, are you boys up for a quarantine quiz? Oh, oh yes. Please, lighten the mood. All right, it's a mixture of rugby and general knowledge and it's the best of five. Jim, you got your first win last week and there's going to be another 100 quid donated to the NHS by whoever loses this week. You guys ready? What's what's the scores on the doors? How much am I down? It's 3-1 to me, Jim. So currently you're donating 300 quid. I'm donating 100 quid. Happy to do so. All right, first question. How many caps did current World Rugby Chairman Bill Beaumont get for England? Closest wins. Jim. 
Why? Why me first? He's a second row, mate, so you should know your second rows. I'm going to say it's not as high as people might think because in the olden days, they didn't play as many games. I'm going to say 40. See, I was around that figure because they, they, what do they play? They only probably played five or six games a year, did they? If I go one less or one more, it's a bit of a cop-out, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. What, you gone 40? I've gone 37. Hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. <laughs> I've 37. changed. I think th- I think 37, yeah. So Jim's gone 37, Goody. You're going with? 32. 32. The correct answer is 34. Oh, oh, that was close. All right. So question number two. Which city will host the 2028 Olympic Games? Goody. Go on, Goody. Sydney? Incorrect. USA. City, Jimmy. He said city. <laughs> yeah, hang on. He said city. He said city. Hang on. Is it Denver? That's Denver. Incorrect. And you, what is it then? It's LA. Oh, close. No, you weren't close, Jim. What, well, I was, what do you mean close? What did you say? I said USA. Well, you said a whole country when we asked for a city. So technically, by me saying a city, I was closer than you because you got the comp- question <laughs> completely wrong and you went a country. But hey. All right. So it's 1 0 to Goody with three questions left to play. Who is the oldest player to have played in the Premiership? Oldest player, Goody. Go on, Goody. Peter Stringer Stringfellow. Mm. That's incorrect. Really? He was nearly 40, wasn't he? Oh, God. I would have said said him as well. Neil DeCock. No. Brad Thorne. Mate, he hardly played though, did he? Mate, you can't call that playing. He just rocked up and went on the pitch. <laughs> He's in the fit 15 though. He is, mate. He's skipper. Question number four. What is Britain's longest motorway? Goody. Go on, Goody. It's got to be the M1. Incorrect. Goody. No. Oh. It's the M6, isn't it? It is oh, the it M6. Is. Yes. Yeah, mate. I'm a traveller. I'm an explorer, remember? Oh, yeah. Woo! Well done, Jim. All oh, Because right. the M1 stops. M1 turns into the A1, doesn't it? All right, so it's the decider. We're going into the last one. Which country made the only Rugby World Cup appearance in 2007? Jim, Portugal. That's correct. Yes, well done, James. Yes, yes, yes. Mate, hey, played in a World Cup, didn't I? I played in it, so I should know that. You did, Jim. How would you get on? I don't know. I just know that Portugal were there. That's all that matters (laughs) now. (laughs) very true well done well done james you win matt i know i know i did i know i know so happy he hates it look he's absolutely raging oh no i've been quite humble then you're, you're not being humble in in victory yeah thank you yes yes all right let's have a look at this next feature jim it's your favorite feature do you want to intro it mate yes andy Rao, i will well it's called jim will solve it get it because jim will solve it which i don't normally solve it you guys normally help me give me some clues on the way through, but riddle me this, riddle me that. Jim will solve it. Hit me. If six people meet in a room when this coronavirus situation is over and all shake hands with one another once, how many handshakes will there be? Twelve. That was the first figure that came to mind. <laughs> I love the way you thought about this. You've gone into great depth. I just went. I just doubled it. I don't know because they've got two hands. Right. If six people meet in a room when this coronavirus situation is over and all shake hands with one another, how many handshakes will there be? Why have I got thirty-six in my head? I'm times in six by six. Right. So if I so if we all go in the room, so I shake yours. So that's one, two, three. Oh, mate, th- this is too too hard to work out. 
surely. It's not as simple as we think, is it? Well, C- can I work it out? I can. I, can I write some stuff down? Get a pen and paper. Miss Good will be impressed. Can I just, right? I'm going to write something down. Why, when I initially write something down, I want to draw a willy the whole time? <laughs> <laughs> Gen- like what? Do you draw the bush hey. as well or not? Do you draw the bush? Or- no, 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 no. I don't. No. Oh goodness me! So six people in a room. So everyone goes around and shakes shakes each each everyone's hand. How do you work that out? So six times one equals six times two equals six times three equals six times four equals times five equals times six equals 120 that's way too high (laughs) that's way too high goody have you worked it out or not i I think i've worked it out and I've, i've messaged tim is that right tim yeah um so you were right jim to say Start with one person and just build up. So if you've got six, six people stood in the line, yeah, from one to six, person one yeah. goes, goes down the line. And so, ah, so and it's, uh, of course, so it's five. So it's actually fives that you need to work out. Ah, oh, okay. 30. No. I'll give you another clue. Right. So that, that person one shakes everyone's hand. Yeah, so, he, so he's going to shake five hands, isn't he? Unless yeah. he wants to shake his own, right? Right. And then he sits down. All right. Well, why is everyone else has stood up? So he doesn't what? have to shake everyone's hand, does he? Well, he already has, right? That's what I mean. So no one's going to shake his hand again. Go. You know, this ain't going to happen because you can't shake hands after the coronavirus. <laughs> you do know that, don't you? So this is like completely irrelevant. <laughs> right. So that's five done. So you need to go. So five plus four plus three plus two plus 119. <laughs> <laughs> 120. Hold on a minute. You were just going five plus four plus three plus two. Is it, is it 120? Jim, 120. Listen, listen, listen to yourself. You've just gone right. five plus four plus three plus two plus one, and then you've gone. Oh, I've done. I've done 119. Times. Yeah, no, I've timed it. I've pressed the wrong one. That's it. 100 plus He's four using plus three lesson. plus two. 28. No. 29. No, Jim. Five. Yeah. Put your calculator 15. down. There we go. He's got it. 15. I've got it. Man, I've got the calculator. Man, I can't multitask. <laughs> that has got to be one of the worst ones because like this ain't this ain't reality. Yeah, but when you it's over, I mean? when it's over in 10 years time, just, six, six people might be in a room and you can still shake hands. Mate, let's hope so. Let's hope that's the case. So, hey, it's called Jim Will Solve It. And that's what I do every week. I deliver when the pressure's on like I just did. Riddle me this, riddle me that. Jim just solved it. <laughs> Do you guys want to have a look at the rumour mill? Any rumours floating around at the moment, boys? Oh, gosh, let's do it. One of your good friends is poking his head above the parapet, isn't he? Wait, I'm friends with a lot of people, Andrew. Who we got? Well, a friend of the show, actually. A friend of mine, I'll consider him a friend now, John Barkley. Mate, he is. He's my second favourite Scot. Actually, he's my first. He's my favourite Scotsman because you're English, so. Mate, he's not even Scottish, you know that. Yeah, I do, yeah. He was born in Hong Kong. He's Chinese, if you're allowed to be that now. Um... John Barkley, mate, yeah. <laughs> I, think he's still allowed to, I, think, I think he's still allowed to be Chinese, Jim. It's just... Well, know, I can say that. I can say that because I'm a quarter Chinese. Mate, Barkley, yeah, they're not keeping him at Edinburgh. What a horrible move that's been for him, mate. Let's be honest. You know, he was at Scarlet's carving up, ironically, playing against Glasgow on the 4G pitch. Not that the 4G pitch had anything to do with his nasty injury. Snaps his Achilles, like ruptures it, so it snaps in half. Um, and then goes to hashtag always Edinburgh and you're injured. It's not a great way to start, is it? But... Mate, when he plays, always plays well. I think he's still got a bit to give. 
for, for people like that, it's a decision, you know, it's a family-based decision now, isn't it? You know, is he going to get a one-year deal or a two-year deal? If it's a one-year deal, is it worth moving the whole family? Um, so wish him all the best. And, um, you know, I'm sure we'll see a lot more of him uh, in Hong Kong, especially at the Sevens, if he doesn't take up the contract at sale that he's been rumoured to uh, be speaking to mm, did not hear that at all uh, another one actually out there is another person who doesn't reply anymore is another Bill Beaumont Nick Tompkins oh since I said that, since I said that we fell out on the podcast he don't reply to me anymore mate he's losing his air isn't he as well so he's in denial about Suns being the sponsor and stuff like that he's in denial but he's t- talk of him going to Dragons on loan for a year it's an interesting one though isn't it because I heard he signed an eight year deal with Saracens before he got capped by Wales so that effectively he's looking at a loan deal now isn't he so who, who signs an eight year deal fair play I mean, Saracen so it's you know slightly they think outside the box don't they um, but yeah I mean obviously f- clearly for him to play international rugby uh, next year he has to be in his Lions dream which Jim you've touted him for as an outside bet and he said actually I saw some stats on him last week from the Six Nations it might have been on Rugby Pass actually from the Guinness Six Nations like his stats were ridiculous weren't they in terms of line breaks, in terms of defenders beating all this stuff, he, you know, and the more you see him play, he's brilliant. So, uh, Dragons, uh, Scarlets, and the Blues are all in the mix, apparently. Well, without being horrible, without being horrible to the Dragons, and, you know, we're kind of fans of the Dragons now. Dean Ryan's there, uh, Luke Narraway, the recycler. So, we've got connections there. Would going to the Dragons be the right club for someone who's got British and Irish Lions? hopes and dreams I, I don't know like i mean it would be a better option than playing against cornish pirates um away and uh and some of the other kind of tough clubs you'll go to in the championship carventry but is the dragons the right club anyone else matt tamua there's also and we spoke about it earlier um the reality of the the pay cuts australian rugby is on its knees isn't it so i think uh, what have they been asked to take 65 percent pay cut some of them have yeah um so yeah i think uh, the rumour of Matt Tamua coming back for a, a stint in the Premiership, been rumoured to go to Bath potentially. Um, it could fix a bit of a black hole for him and his earnings or Australian rugby in, in terms of paying out a contract that at the minute they can't afford to do. Right, let's finish things off with the good, the bad and the ugly, which is brought to you by Sons again this week, isn't it, Goody? Yeah, it certainly is. Uh, Jim, how's the lid going? You've got your cap on today, so uh, obviously a growth spurt coming through. Mate, good. I've had a few inquiries as well about the the Suns. People in lockdown, what generally happens is, is you thrive or you lose your air. If you're losing your air, head to Suns, mate. They'll sort you out. Yeah, you know, I've been using the shampoo, the tablets, the vitamins and the topical solution every day. And the lid is looking strong. Hair loss is an issue a lot of men don't talk about, but Sons are helping to change that and offering a solution. They have a range of pharmaceutically licensed and medically proven products for preventing hair loss. Their free online consultation with specialist physicians takes less than two minutes and delivery takes just a few days. They deliver results in 9 out of 10 men and all for a reasonable monthly cost with no hidden costs or charges. So give Baldness the boot and go to sons.co.uk and use the code RUGBYPOD10 to get your first month for just 10 quid. That's S-O-N-S and the code is RUGBYPOD10. Go and check them out. Uh, yeah, good. Um, lots and lots of good actually. Uh, all around raising money really uh, for various different causes. And we're going to start off... We're the legend of the game. We've spoken about TV broadcasting channels 
uh, earlier on, and a guy that does a lot of TV commentary, mainly for BBC, Jiffy. Jonathan Davis uh, has cycled a marathon every day for 10 days uh, for Valindra, a charity that's very close to his heart uh, as he lost his wife and father to cancer but was blown away by Valindra's care while they battled the disease. So uh, Jiffy, tip of the slipper to you, 57 years old. You've cycled a marathon for 10 days on the spin. Absolute hero. Um, And he's got some traps on him as well. He's got some unbelievable traps on him. Uh, what a legend Jiffy is so well done to him what else was good well I always have to name one of my old clubs and this is controversial because it's London Irish this week I didn't quite play for them but I did turn up for pre-season for a couple of days here or there so technically it is an old club but they've teamed up with their main sponsor Power Day uh, to deliver over 17,000 meals to frontline doctors, nurses and care workers at hospitals across London and the Thames Valley so uh, a big shout out to the London Irish Club and Power Day their sponsor um, what else was good? Former Quinn's second row, George Merrick. Now, here's a challenge for you, Jim. Uh, he rode a marathon on his row machine in his garage to raise money for the NHS because they saved his dad's life after he contracted coronavirus. So, Jim, do you reckon you could row a marathon on a rower? Tell the back that. I was going to say, tell the back that. Where is George Merrick? Is he playing over in France now, is he? Claremont. Yeah, ah, that's right. Yeah, he's at Claremont, isn't he? Yeah, mate, he's quality, mate. He's a quality player, to be fair. Yeah, a marathon on a rowing machine, my word. Fair play. No, no, no. It's important to be saying that I could. No, I couldn't. No, tell them about that. <laughs> so well done to George Merrick. Awesome stuff. Um, what else is good? Everyone who took part in the 2.6 challenge for Matt Hampson and other rugby charities over the weekend. Uh, a massive amount of money raised and some brilliant stuff from everyone raising money. You did What did you do, Jim? You did 26 kilometres on the old uh, what bike, did you? Yeah, I did take an easiest route out, to be fair, um, in terms of being at the elite level of fitness. I mean, I was going to do 26 hours, but I worked out there's not 26 hours in the day. Do you know what I mean? So <laughs> it wouldn't yeah, so it wouldn't have worked. But no, mate, I agree with you. Like, we we put it out there last uh, week for the Matt Hampson Foundation. You know, that's the thing. These charities as well, I mean, everyone's got a story, haven't they? But the charities are crippled by it. But I think the positive thing around this is people doing these challenges and exercises and the 2.6 challenge was one of many uh, another really bit of good news this week ed jackson who we had on the show last week he completed his unbelievable challenge of climbing everest at his parents house by going up and down their stairs an equivalent of 8,848 meters uh, and he's raised over 40,000 pounds for Wings for Life, uh, Neverest Orthopaedics and the Forever Friends appeal in support of the NHS. So well done, Jacko. He would have got the good, but we had him on the show last week. He's an unbelievable character, but someone, someone has done something unbelievably amazing as well. And it's a former Scotland player, Jim, a former Scotland captain, Mike Bigger, who is 70 years of age and almost entirely dependent on his wheelchair for mobility. But he's currently raising funds by walking 100 steps over the course of a month using bars for support outside his house and has raised over 40 grand already. So he's wheelchair bound, he's getting up, he's walking 100 steps. It's a phenomenal achievement. Mike Bigger, former Scotland captain, you absolute legend. You get the good this week. Unbelievable stuff, yeah. Uh, bad, uh, a few bits of bad for me. Uh, we'll start off with the fallout from, we've spoken about it at depth on this podcast, Leicester Tigers players and the club and how all that's been handled, leaks to the press, etc, etc. It doesn't look good. Um, so uh, the wage saga was leaked uh, and it hasn't come across particularly well for anyone. So that's pretty bad. Uh, what else was bad? Well, the likes of Mohamed Huas or Hawass and Joe Marler reportedly not having to serve their bans when rugby returns. Uh, not sure 
anyone could say they've served any sort of band while there's been no rugby. So there'll be people that will be frustrated with that, but there'll be people that will be happy with it. Um, so that's not very good. But the bad this week goes to a bit of news that we've not really spoken about. Uh, but it's been a row between Sale, Sharks and Gloucester over Johan Jansi van Rensburg, the absolute unit of a centre who has been playing exceptionally well for Sale this season. And I actually said myself, thank God I'm retired because he runs like an absolute monster. Uh, anyway, turns out he'd signed for both clubs and he'd taken 25 grand from Gloucester as a down payment per se. And then he thought, no, 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 I'm going to sign for Sale instead, probably a bit more cash. And there was a big row about it. There was a, a hearing and... The disciplinary hearing last week has handed him a two-week ban and a £32,500 fine, of which twenty five grand must go back to Gloucester, because that's what they paid him, apparently, because he'd signed the deal and he needed some money up front. Um, and Sale have got a five-point deduction that's suspended for two years, and it got pretty ugly between the two clubs, with um, Steve Diamond suggesting the hearing wasn't particularly fair, and Simon Orange calling one of the witnesses a liar. And that witness just happened to be the CEO of Gloucester at the time and the now CEO of Wasps, Stephen Vaughan. Uh, so apparently it got quite heated. It's not a good look. And basically Van Rensburg, uh, whoever your agent is, if you sign a contract, yeah, you've got to stay there. I'll tell you what, mate, you tell him. If you see Van Rensburg, you tell him, I dare you. No, I, <laughs> like I said, <laughs> I, ain't, I ain't telling him anything. Uh, but yeah, he's got to pay 32 and a half grand fine. Oosh. And also the agent, Matt Ginver. Um, he's got a fine as well. So your agent, you've had a shocker tell him to do that. Uh, and then the ugly this week, uh, only really one ugly thing. Um, we mentioned it earlier, Raylene Castle has left her role as CEO of Australian Rugby um, and there's been a big fallout about it. But mainly, uh, she revealed that she received death threats over the Israel Falau saga. So that's the ugly this week. It's the fact that rugby has gone mad and people are sending death threats out around Israel Falau, who isn't worth talking about. Thanks, Scooty, and you've got a couple of shout-outs to finish off with, haven't you guys? Yeah, a few shout-outs. Uh, a massive shout-out to Barnes Rugby Club boys uh, and girls who are putting on a attempted lift of 1 million kilograms on the 2nd of May to raise money for the NHS in memory of Gary Garrett, who sadly passed away from coronavirus. Uh, check out their fundraising page. It's uk.virgin.com moneygiving.com forward slash team forward slash Barnes RFC for more details share them your support have a look at my Twitter feed uh, I post it on there as well lifting a million kilograms Jim do you reckon you lifted a million kilograms in your rugby career my maths isn't great but I imagine so yeah <laughs> <laughs> but no big shout out to Gary his family and obviously everyone at Barnes Rugby Football Club I've uh, got another shout out uh, to Tom Allison and the Mary Ann Evans Hospice in North Warwickshire where he works a lot of hospices are in real danger, as we know, of going under because of the current crisis, because they're charities and they're not part of the NHS, so struggle with funding. In order to generate funds and give their staff some escape from the frontline pressures, they've come up with a sponsor, a nurse appeal, where companies or individuals can become the official sponsors for individual staff members. It could allow them to continue delivering services, such as hospice at home, rapid response, bereavement support, and more. So if you fancy helping them out and sponsoring, check Check out www.maryannevans.org.uk forward slash sponsor a nurse. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, and finally, a big shout out to Samuel Gillam, uh, who's decided to do the 4448 challenge. That's run four miles every four hours for 48 hours. Uh, an incredible effort. 
uh, and he's trying to do it to raise as much money as he can for Wooden Spoon. Uh, so his fundraising page is justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash Samuel dash Gillum. Yeah, I've got one more, all these challenges going on, but one came across me this morning um, and Lucy know him. He's from KFit Gym up in Edinburgh. Mentioned about it when I was up there doing that activation with Guinness um, ahead of the Six Nations game. But this lad here, who looks like a caveman, uh, Adam Towler, is doing burpees for 24 hours to raise money for the NHS. I tried doing burpees, I tried doing 10 of them, and I'm strong as an ox and I still struggled. So he needs a massive shout-out as well. Mate, people raising money for the NHS, doing incredible things. I know we've spoken about it before. We all agree that we need them, and there was a minute silence today that I'm sure we all adhered to, and uh, keep up the good work, everyone. Uh, we will get through this. Not that I'm the Oracle, but I'm an Oreo. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Goody. Thanks, Producer Tim. And thank you very much for listening as well. We really appreciate everyone who subscribes, follows us on Twitter, and particularly those who leave us a nice review on iTunes. And don't forget, if you're in need of more great rugby content while you're stuck indoors, check out our Superfans monthly subscription service at patreon.com forward slash the rugby pod. Rugby pod. Pod, pod, pod.